Chris and Shauna. Come on down. Yeah, come on, come on. Don't be shy. Guys, this is uh, Chris and Shauna Morrison. Uh, they were baptized into Christ this past week. Uh, we wanted to give you this, and I'll give you a hug, too. Welcome. We're so glad you guys are here. Um, I think uh, Corey and Brett studied the Bible with you, and Ariel, and who else? Christine? Okay, study the Bible with you. You guys can go ahead and sit down. Um, you guys give them a hand. Um, so what I gave them, anytime somebody makes a commitment to Jesus, we want to publicly acknowledge that because that's a big deal. Uh, we also at the Crossings believe we're responsible for the development of everybody God sends us. Uh, whenever you become a Christian, it's kind of like uh, you're starting from scratch. You're kind of a spiritual baby. And so uh, we believe that the church is like a family, just like you take care of a baby. If it was in your physical family, you take care of a baby in your spiritual family. And so I gave you guys some material that we're going to continue to go over with you uh, just to make sure that you're developing and growing. And uh, anyway, we're really, really glad you're here. If this is your first time at the crossings, I want to say hi to you. Uh, we are glad you're here as well. We planted this church uh, not terribly long ago uh, and started it here in the community because we believe God wants to do a work in Collinsville, and we believe God wants to do a work in your life. And so if you're here today, know that you've been prayed for. Uh, know that you're in a safe place. Nobody's going to look down on you. Uh, this, is, this is a really cool church where a lot of broken people have gotten together, and God is really doing something special. Um, and so I hope you'll stick around and get to know some of the people around you. Uh, we're in the middle of a series here called More Than Words. We're looking at faith, hope, and love, and we're wrapping up our study on faith today. The uh, first week that we studied this, Jake talked about the faith, uh, and that was sort of the understanding of the systematic teaching of God, the faith that's revealed in Scripture. He looked at uh, the book of Jude and talked about that in week two. Uh, we looked at two different kinds of faith, and so we looked at uh, faith that prompts us to action and faith that doesn't in James 2. One of those is a faith that's alive, another is a faith that the Bible says is dead. If you have real faith, it's going to move you to action, James 2, 14 through 26, what we looked at last week. Today, we're going to wrap this up by talking about what faith is not and what faith is. And some of you are like, why are you doing three weeks on faith? Well, you can't be saved without faith. The Bible makes it clear, if you want to be right with God, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to go to heaven, the only way that's going to happen is by faith. So it's important that we have clarity about what faith is, what it looks like. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, and then next week, we're going to move into talking about hope. Uh, you've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have most of the passages of Scripture uh, that we're going to look at on them. Uh, for those where it's not, we'll probably have that up on the screen for you. Um, but I'm going to start out this morning just with what faith is not. And so the first blank on your notes, faith is not, number one, the opposite of evidence examination. Faith is not the opposite of evidence examination. And uh, the reason I say that is because some people have this idea that faith, as it's described in the Bible, is just kind of a shot in the dark. It's just sort of a leap. You've heard the, the phrase blind faith? Have you guys heard that before? That's what a lot of people think faith is. It's blind. It's like, I just want to believe this, so I'm just going to believe it, despite the, the lack of evidence or the contrary evidence. Okay, that's not what faith is, just so you know. In Hebrews 11, it says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. The point here is that faith prompts disciples to act in a visible world based on their confidence in invisible realities. So, for instance, in the same group of scriptures in Hebrews 11, it goes through the Faith Hall of Fame. If you haven't ever read that chapter of the Bible before, it tells all these stories of different people, Abraham, like just goes down the list of Bible characters. But Abraham, Noah, all of those guys, they acted, if you look at their story, they acted in response to evidence. 
Not despite evidence. Whenever God comes and calls Abraham in the Old Testament to go to another land, Abraham wasn't ignorant about who God was. His father Tamar had a relationship with God. Noah wasn't ignorant about who God was. Whenever God came and told him to build an ark, well, Noah had heard all these stories about God and how God had acted in history. It's the same for all of these people of faith, these giants of faith. They weren't just acting blindly whenever they did these crazy things for God. They were acting based on the evidence that they had seen of God working in the world. It wasn't a blind faith. It's not the opposite of evidence examination. That's not real faith. You know what we call it whenever somebody does something in, in, that's contrary to the evidence? We call that stupidity. Okay? Whenever, whenever, seriously, like, you, you don't just act and, and say, I'm going to believe this and act this way, even though the evidence is telling me otherwise, right? That's not faith. That's just dumb. Okay? Faith is based on evidence. Um, second, I'll just move on. I was going to say something else offensive, but I'll just move on. Um, faith is not mental acknowledgement alone, number two. Faith is not mental acknowledgement alone. Um, this is just the belief that faith is solely reduced to believing that certain doctrines are true. For instance, if I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I'll get to go to heaven because I mentally believe that. Um, this isn't on your notes, but we looked at it last week. James 2.19 says, you believe that there's one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You guys remember we talked about this last week. Uh, it is possible to say you believe in God but then do nothing that God says to do, okay? There are people out there, though, that believe, because I believe in Jesus, I believe Jesus was a man who was the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins, I'm good because I have faith. What the Bible says is that that is a demonic kind of faith. If you believe that God is there, but you don't care to do anything that God says, you don't really listen to him, you don't follow him, that's not biblical faith. That's a faith that's dead. That's a faith that, that, that's demonic because the demons believe like that, okay? In, uh, in John 12, now, there were people in Jesus' day who actually believed Jesus was the Son of God, but they refused to make that known because they were afraid of the social pressure that was around them. It says in John 12, many leaders secretly believed in him. This is talking about Jewish leaders believed in Jesus but would not declare their faith because the Pharisees continued their threats to expel all his followers from the synagogue. Here's why. They loved to please men more than they desired to glorify God. Now, there are people in the first century who saw Jesus perform miracles, but politically it would have been costly for them to express that they thought there was something to this guy and that we needed to listen to him because... There were leaders that Jesus was challenging, and they were afraid of losing their positions in, in, their, in their society or in the synagogue or wherever. They wanted to maintain that spiritual leadership. They didn't like this upstart who was coming and challenging what they were teaching from the Bible. And so what they did was they tried to get everybody not to listen to him, and they threatened anybody that were kind of advocating for Jesus, we're going to kick you out of church. Okay, that was their synagogue was their church. We're going to kick you out of church if you guys say that this guy is somebody you should listen to. This says there were people who actually believed Jesus was the Son of God, but they weren't going to tell anybody that because they were going to get kicked out of church, their synagogue, right? That's not faith, guys. That's not faith. But it's interesting because they mentally believed Jesus was who he said he was. But that's not faith, okay? Because they didn't, it didn't impact their actions, um, thirdly, faith is not the opposite of action and or works. Faith is not the opposite of action and or works, okay? We looked last week, but just to review, healthy biblical faith moves us to action. James 2.18, someone may say, you have faith, I have actions. Show me your faith without any actions. I'll show you my faith by my actions. In verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. We, we hammered this last week, okay? If you say you have faith, it's got to be accompanied by action. Um, there's confusion 
about faith and works, though, uh, because there's confusion about what is taught in Ephesians 2. And so I want to look at that this morning. I want to give you guys some clarity so that we are not confused about this. There's this false divide between faith and works and contemporary theology. Um, the Bible says we're not saved by works. Okay, Ephesians 2, 7 through 10. Let's look at this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. Underline not by works. So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay? How many of you guys have seen this passage of Scripture before? Just about everybody, right? Um, now, this is one of those passages that uh, if you grew up going to a Baptist church or uh, if you grew up going to a, lot, a little rural Bible church, you would have heard this all the time. Um, this is one that's hammered, hammered, hammered. This is a great passage, man. Uh, isn't it good, good that we're saved by grace? You guys know what that means, right? You're saved by grace means you don't have to be perfect. Grace is a gift from God. Uh, grace is that, is that uh, reality of God where he loves you so much that he's going to let you blow it and he's still going to give you a chance. Isn't that good news? Okay? Seriously, guys, we don't want to downplay that. We're saved by grace. Has anybody in here just nailed it in life? Have you just gotten it right? You just got A's all the way through. You got 100% on life. Never did anything wrong, never told a lie, never stole anything, never mistreated anyone, never talked back to your parents. Uh, you never did any of that stuff, right? None of us, all of us have blown it. We have to be saved by grace. That's the only way it's going to happen. If you're saved, it's by grace. God's hooking you up, right? Uh, you didn't nail it. That's good news. So I don't want to downplay that at all, okay? We are only saved by grace. However, you're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. He makes that clear right here. You're not saved yourself. You do not save yourself, okay? It's the gift of God not by works, so no one can boast. Um, whenever you read the phrase, not by works, what does that mean to you? Because most people, when they read this, not by works, it means um, in their mind they read this and they're like, well, that means nothing, nothing I do uh, can earn my salvation. Can you earn your salvation, church? Is there anything you can do to put, put God in, in where he owes you? What do you think? Okay, no. It's impossible, right? Um, not by works. Just hold that thought, okay? We're going to come back to that, okay? There, and I'll just say there are a lot of people who read this, and when it says not by works, it, it means to them nothing that I do matters. Okay, when it says not by works, I'm not saved by works, that means that I don't play a role in being saved. That's how this is read and understood um, by a lot of people. The problem with that view is the rest of the New Testament, honestly, because a whole bunch of places seem to indicate that what we do does play a role in whether we're saved or not. And so there's this, uh, there is this confusion and honestly, if you, when I've sat down and, and talked through like theology with different people that I've studied the Bible with, there's contradiction even a lot of times in what a person believes and, and what their church teaches or whatever. Um, let's just read through these passages that say our actions matter, okay? Romans 2, 5 through 8. The Bible says we're judged for what we do. In Romans 2, verse 5, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Look at this now. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Can you underline that, please? God will repay each person according to what they have done to those who by persistence in doing good. Please circle doing. Uh seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Okay, notice here, it says in this passage that's talking about eternal judgment. God is going to judge you according to what you do. Okay, is that unclear to anyone? 
Okay? Looks pretty clear. It's pretty simple, right? Um, look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Underline that. Does this seem to say God's going to judge you based on what you do? Okay? It's real clear. This isn't one of those that's like, I don't know if I understand this. No, just it's real clear. It's simple. Which most of the Bible is super simple, by the way. You don't have to be intimidated by it. Super simple. God's going to judge you according to what you do. Now, if you don't know, if you're new to Christianity or, or the... The Bible teaches when we die, we're going to go stand before the Lord, and we're going to give an account of our lives to him. And depending on his judgment, we either get to be with him in heaven or we don't. But what this is saying right here is that your actions, like the way you live your life, he's going to judge you based on the way you've lived your life. In 1 Peter 1.17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work, circle that word work. He judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. What's God going to judge? He's going to judge your work, right? You're not saved by works, but God's going to judge your work. Okay? <laughs> this is contradictory, right? We're going to clear it up. Revelation 20, verse 12. This is a picture of the day of judgment in Revelation, okay? It says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what? The dead were judged according to what, church? According to what they had done, okay? As recorded in the books. Does it sound like what you do matters in life? Okay? Does it sound like it might have eternal consequences? Okay? Guys, I'm not trying to be confusing here, okay? Does it sound like what you do in life has eternal consequences? Yes or no? Based on the Bible. Okay. Look back at Ephesians 2. We've got all of these passages that seem to indicate what you do matters a bunch. What you do with your life is the difference between heaven and hell in the Bible. Like, literally, it's the difference between heaven and hell. What you do with your life what you do. But then we've got this passage in Ephesians that says we're not saved by works. So how can the Bible say my works are what God is going to judge and I'm either going to get in heaven or go to hell because of my works, but then the Bible says I'm not saved by works. That seems to be a contradiction. Here's what I would like to help you understand. We have misunderstood what the Bible means when it says works. And I'll tell you why. It goes back to church history. Way back in the 1600s, uh, the Catholic Church was doing something really bad in Germany. They were going around, and they had their officials telling people in the community, if you will put money in this coffer for the church, we're going to let your relatives soul out of purgatory. So can you imagine you've been told by your spiritual leader, grandma's not in heaven, and if you want grandma to go to heaven, you need to give me some money. Okay, early televangelist, right? Does that make anybody else sick in here whenever you see people using religion to like steal from people? That makes me sick. You know who else it made sick? Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a monk. He was a good man. He had some flaws. He was, we won't get into all that. But he was a good man. He was a man who I think in his heart really wanted to honor God with his life. He saw that happening and as a religious leader, he was incensed by it. He'd been reading the Bible and writing and, and studying, and he knew that that didn't honor God. And he ran across this passage in Ephesians 2 where it says, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works. And it just blew his mind. Because his church that he was working for was going around telling people, You can buy people out of heaven. And he's like, That doesn't jive with what the Bible is teaching. And so... He took a stand, really, really unpopular stand, where he stood up at his, in his time against what was the church of his day, the Catholic church. He is 
the early reformer, he's the reason, uh, a big part of the reason you and I can read Bibles like in our own language it goes back to this guy because he took a stand. His solution is we need to put the, the word of God in the hands of the common man. He's uh, translated uh, the, the German Bible. He, he nailed uh, the 95 Thesis to the front of that church. He, he, he's what spawned Protestant, the Protestant Reformation. There was a breakaway from the Catholic Church, and there was people that were saying, let's just go back to the Bible. Right? There was another guy named Huldrych Zwingli around the time of Martin Luther. Another guy named John Calvin around the time of Martin Luther. Uh, those three are the three kind of fathers, what we would call the reformers. Um, they are the fathers of many of the modern denominations that we have that uh, are now prevalent. Uh, the, the Baptist church, Anabaptist movement came out of the Reformation, uh, kind of a wing. They were persecuted. Um, wasn't all pretty. If you go over to Scotland, you could see where people got killed and all kinds of stuff. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened. Uh, but Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, like all of the big denominations kind of came out of this Reformation. When people came over to the United States, guys, the reason our country was founded was really for religious freedom for a lot of people. They came over here. And so for the first time on the American frontier, you had the birth of uh, a lot of different kinds of churches, little different denominations. I think there's like 13,000 denominations in the world today. Uh, most of them trace their roots back to sometime in this Reformation. Here's why that matters, okay? Martin Luther's charge and the Reformation, the Reformers, a lot of their theology was based on this understanding of Ephesians 2. And when Martin Luther read the phrase, not by works... His understanding of that was this is teaching we're not saved by any works of righteousness that we do. That was his understanding. The, the works is any, any act of righteousness. And so you had uh, teachings that came out of the Reformation that were like, you don't need to be baptized because that's a work. You just do that if you want to. It's a work. Uh, you don't really need to obey Calvinism. You don't really have to obey. You can't obey because there's nothing good in you. So what has to happen for you to be able to obey is God has to zap you with the Holy Spirit and take you over like a little robot. And then you're saved. That's Calvinism. That's a crude definition of Calvinism, okay? But that's pretty much what Calvinism teaches is God takes you over and he's your puppet master. And if, if you're a puppet you get to be saved, and if you're not a puppet, you go to hell. And most of you are going to hell. Okay, that's what Calvinism teaches. Um, I don't think any of that's right, personally. Now, when, when I read Ephesians 2, the thing is, if you just pull Ephesians 2.9 out of Ephesians, and that's all you see there, you're going to miss it. But if you study the context of Ephesians... What Paul is doing in Ephesians, much like he's doing in Romans, is he's mediating a conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is what a lot of people don't understand, guys. In the first century, uh, the biggest problem facing the first century church was the split between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because for the first time, you had people who had grown up following the Jewish religion being told... You don't really have to follow all of those laws to be saved now because we have Jesus. And you had these people merging with total pagans who, who had just learned who Jesus was, who were trying to follow him. So you had uh, Jews who had grown up only eating certain foods and only preparing foods a certain way, who thought they were sinning if they eat, ate a bowl of soup that had a gnat that landed in the pot or something. Like that was against their law. You had these people merging with these Gentiles who had never had to mess with any of that. And you want to know what that was causing in their church? Problems. Right? You've got different ethnicities coming together, different religions coming together to form this new thing. And... I'm going to church with the Joneses, and I'm a Jewish guy, and I can't go sit around a table with the Joneses because they're icky. They're dirty. Can't get around them. Um, that was a problem. 
You guys remember, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say was going to be present for people to know that they were his disciples? Love for one another, right? You guys are going to be so close. You're going to be such a close family that everybody's going to know something's different about you, that you're my disciples because you love each other that way. But then you had Jews and Gentiles in the early church. They couldn't even, they couldn't even share a meal together because you had Jews who were telling people as Christians, yeah, Jesus is great. You want to be right with Jesus. If you want to be right with Jesus, you need to get baptized into Christ, but then you need to change your diet. You need to start following these Jewish holidays. You need to go with us to the temple four times a year, five times a year, how many times they did it. Uh, you need to go through all these ceremonies. And you had these Gentiles who didn't come from that background who were like, but that's not what Paul said. Paul just said, I need to give my life to the Lord and follow him as my king. Um, and, and I'm going to be okay. Okay, here's the thing. Not by works, this is the next blank on your notes. Not by works equals, I'm not saved by following the old law of Moses. That's how you need to read this. When Paul is writing that phrase, he's writing to the Jews and the Gentiles. But he's, he's, he's mediating a conflict where Jews were telling Gentiles, you have to follow the old Mosaic law in order to be saved. That was the problem. That was the problem in Ephesus. That's the problem in Romans. Paul is, that, the reason those letters were written, the context of those letters, is to mediate a conflict between Jew and Gentile. If you miss that, you're going to come across and, and you're going to read this and you're going to miss the application. It's what Martin Luther did. Martin Luther read this, and he thought not by works meant not any works of righteousness. The proper understanding is not by works means not by works of the Mosaic law. Specific. Specific. Okay? That means properly applied, this phrase means I don't have to follow Jewish holidays. It means I don't have to follow Jewish dietary laws. I don't have to... Uh, observe Saturday Sabbath. I don't have to go to the temple and make sacrifices to be right with God. Not by works. I don't have to do the Jewish stuff, right? I don't have to follow the old law of Moses. Not by works. A misunderstanding, not by works, means I don't really need to be baptized. Not by works, when you misunderstand it, is I don't really need to obey God. I just need to believe the right things. Uh, I don't really need to be faithful or concerned with faithfulness. I just need to believe the right things because it's not by works, right? That's a misunderstanding. Um, now, you can take it too far where it's like I have to be perfect to be saved. That's not right. But whenever you jump into Ephesians 2 and try to use not by works to justify, I don't really need to obey, you are misapplying and misunderstanding what Paul is, is intending there. That specifically means I'm not saved by the Mosaic law. That is specific right there. In other places where Paul talks about works, that's always what Paul means. When he says works, he's talking to Jews about the Mosaic law. You guys need to understand that or you're going to misunderstand the New Testament. The New Testament is unified, okay? Um, it doesn't contradict itself. We contradict it when we misunderstand. This, this, is, this is something that we need to get right, okay? Um, so faith is not those things. Here's what faith is, and we're going to close with this today. Faith is, number one, belief. There's four aspects of faith. Faith does include belief. Uh, this means that I accept that God exists and is real. This is mental assent. Okay, that is part of faith. Where we get off track is where people think this is all that faith is, is mental assent. Mentally acknowledging that Jesus is present or that he's real. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 11.6, and without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay? This is part of faith. It's mentally believing that God is there. Uh, some, sometimes people come into uh, the church or they come into a relationship with God and they feel guilty because they have doubts. Uh, 
some of us are, are blessed to not struggle as much with doubt. Uh, maybe things we've seen or things we've experienced, but, but there are those in our number, even here today, who struggle with doubt, and people feel guilty about it. How, how can I know if I'm saved if I'm not fully convinced that God is present? You want to know what the question I always ask? Do you believe strongly enough to obey God? Because that's really the litmus test. Do you believe strongly enough to obey? Do you believe strongly enough to do what he says? That's the difference between saved and lost, is do you believe strongly enough to obey? You can be a doubter, guys, and still be right with the Lord. John the Baptist is a good example of somebody who struggled with doubt. Whenever he got arrested, after he did all his preaching and everything, he's sitting in prison, he expressed doubt. That's John the Baptist, man. That's a guy that Jesus said was one of the greatest men who ever lived. He struggled with doubt. If Jesus says he was a great man, I think John the Baptist is going to be with us in heaven, pretty sure, right? Uh, I think you'll be okay too, but you need to obey, okay? That's the litmus test. Do I obey? Fact, uh, number two, faith is, number two, trust. Trust. And the idea of trust is I believe God is good. I believe God tells the truth. I believe I should listen to him. That's trust. Some people say, uh, how do I know if I trust enough? Same question. Do you trust him enough to obey him? Because I struggle with trusting God all the time. Like, by the way, I'm a preacher. Uh, I don't always trust God the way that I should. But that's the question. Do you trust him enough to obey? Do you trust him enough to do what he says? In Romans 4, uh, the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone. That's uh, talking about Abraham and Isaac. Uh, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who trust in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Hebrews 10.38, the person who is right with me will live by trusting in me, but I will not be pleased with the one who turns back in fear. Okay, here's the question again. How do I know if I trust God enough? Do you trust him enough to do what he says? Do you obey him? Uh, faith is number three, loyalty. Loyalty. Uh, this means I'm devoted to being a servant to my king. I, I know my place as a servant. Uh, I don't have another king. I'm, I'm loyal to King Jesus. Um, this aspect of faith was understood by uh, the early readers of the Bible or the people in the first century because the word used for faith, pistis, or pistuo in the uh, verb form, it was apparent to them that this implied loyalty. It's a little bit lost on us because faith and believe, the words that we translate pistis from Greek into English to, uh, they don't really carry the idea of loyalty just as naturally as this did in, in the Greek language. Um, there's a really good book. If you want to study this out some more, uh, I've got a couple of photos, I think. Do we have those? Yeah. Uh, this is a book from Matthew Bates called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. This was uh, just published um, a couple of years ago, but it, he really gets deep into the study of the word pistis, which is the Greek word for faith. He looks at uh, the way it was used in the first century in not just the Bible, but in a bunch of other writings that are from the same period, the way we arrive at what a word should, how a word should be rendered or translated in, into our language is to look at how it was used in the Bible, kind of the context of it, but then also how it was used in things outside of the Bible so that we can arrive at a, a definition that is the way it was understood back then. Um, he really gets into the technical aspect of that, uh, a less technical book is the book Gospel Allegiance. This is uh, the same author, but he wrote this book with a lot of the same content, but it's, it's more for a popular audience. So if you're less technical, if you don't want to look as much at the Greek and just have something that's easier to read, uh, this is the book that I would recommend, but it's a lot of the same stuff. So if, if you don't trust me, that's okay. Uh, trust this guy. Uh, this guy is a world leading heavyweight scholar like he's from Notre Dame he's uh, done a lot of pretty impressive stuff and there are some pretty heavyweight scholars 
uh, in the biblical studies world that are getting behind what he says. And, you know, like Scott McKnight and some others that you may or may not be familiar with. But heavyweights uh, in academics that are saying we need to listen to what this guy's saying. He's on to something. Um, Bates is the one who points out that the word pistis has a wider range of meaning than what is captured by our English words, faith and belief. Um, and so this is a lot of his observations that I'm sharing with you on this loyalty point, okay? <clears throat> I want to look at 1 Maccabees, though. Uh, this is not in the Bible, by the way. 1 Maccabees, it's on your notes. This is from something called the Apocrypha. This is not considered scripture. Uh, it was popular literature in the first century um, and, and a little before. This is uh, uh, from the intertestamental period, which is the time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. There was a whole rebellion, the Maccabean Revolt, in, in, uh, where the Greeks had actually come and taken over Jewish lands. The Jews rebelled. They kicked them out of the temple. There was a big bloody battle. Uh, first Maccabees is sort of a, a, a document about that. Uh, but I want to point out what is said here. Um, I'll just read it. King Demetrius to the nation of Jews sends greetings. Uh, Since you have kept your agreement with us and have continued your friendship with us and have not sided with our enemies, we have heard it and rejoice. Now continue still to keep faith with us and we will repay you with good for what you do for us. Now, this was written um, before Jesus, not terribly long from King Demetrius, he's concerned about his rival Alexander uh, beating him to the punch and forging an alliance with the Jews. And so Demetrius writes the Jews pretty much just urging them to maintain loyalty to his side because there was this other guy who was going to try to persuade them to come to his side, Alexander. Um, he says, continue still to keep faith with us. What does that mean? Keep faith with us. Does that mean mentally believe that my kingdom is over here and it exists? Well, no. I mean, that would be part of it. What he's saying is, I want you to be loyal to me. I want you to keep faith to me. I want you to, to pledge fidelity to me. And I want you to be on my side. I want you to be on my team. Okay? Uh, similarly, the Jewish historian Josephus, this is another extra-biblical text, Okay? Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century. Uh, he wrote a lot. We have uh, a lot of his writings. Um, there was a rebel leader who was plotting to kill Josephus. Josephus wrote a letter to him, and here's what he said, repent and believe in me. Okay, that's Josephus writing to this rebel leader. This is just one line uh, that I pulled out of there so you could see it. What he's saying to this rebel leader is turn away from the side you're on right now and come over to my side. That's what Josephus was trying to urge him to do. Come to my side. The phrasing that he uses is repent and believe in me. What does that sound like? Have you heard that before? You heard that before? Jesus says that same phrase. Repent and believe in me. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Mark 1.15. Okay? What does that mean? Repent and mentally believe that I'm here? No. It was turn away from your sin, turn away from that way of life, and come over to my side. Come over to righteousness. Pledge loyalty to me. Come over here. Okay? It's loyalty. Um, for Josephus... And others, repent and believe in me, meant to turn away from your present course of action and become loyal to me. That is so important to understand, right? Uh, we should understand Jesus' call to repent and believe in him in the same way. Come over to my side. Come be loyal to me. Come over here. Um, so in the Bible, God's call to believe in Jesus isn't simply to mentally acknowledge that he's there, it's, it's to be loyal to him as your king. That's really what it means. Lastly, number four, faith is obedience. Faith is obedience. Real faith is explicitly linked to obedience in the Bible. Romans 1.5 
Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And then 1626, <clears throat> so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Obedience is a fruit of real faith. Where does obedience come from? It comes from faith. That's where it comes from. If you have real faith, you're going to obey. If you don't have real faith, you're not. Right? Um, the expectation is that we be obedient to Jesus. Obedience is not optional. Obedience isn't, that's just for the mature ones. I've actually heard that before. Okay? I've heard that. There's this idea that I can be saved, like I can just sort of tiptoe over the line and be saved. I don't really have to get that serious about it. I can just do the conversion thing and then, you know, I'm not going to be like a Jesus freak. I've heard people say that. Okay? I'm going to do the bare minimum, but then I'm not really going to worry about all this faithfulness stuff because I have faith, right? Dude, that is a complete misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. On the flip side, you have people who go to the extreme and say, well, I can't obey perfectly, so I can't be saved. Guys, do you think that's right? What are we saved by? Grace. Say it with me. What are we saved by? Grace. Right? What does that mean? Does that give you room to blow it? Okay, yeah, it gives you room to blow it. What do you do when you blow it? You get up, you dust yourself off, and try again. You know what we call that? Repentance. That's what you do. You're going to blow it. Get up, dust yourself off, and try again. What if, what if you just lay in the dirt and just cry because you blew it? You don't get up and dust yourself off and try again. Well, that's not repentance. That's just being a baby. Don't be a baby. Get up, dust yourself off, and try again. Right? You can do it. That's part of why the church is here. You weren't meant to do it on your own. Right? None of us were. The last blank is uh, faith. Here's just a, we say this all the time, guys, but we just want to hammer this home. Faith is allegiance to King Jesus. That is a good understanding of what faith is. If you want to nail faith, if you just want to have a crystal clear definition, an understanding of what faith is, without getting bogged down in all the confusion that's out there on this topic, it's allegiance. That implies action. That, yes, the belief is there, but it's, there's also trust and hope and action. It's all there. It's encapsulated in allegiance. When it comes to passages regarding eternal salvation, uh, the word pistis really should be understood to show allegiance to or to be faithful to. Now, I don't recommend that you pull out your pen and just go through your Bible and, and mark out every instance of where it says believer faith. Uh, you might want to make a note of it, okay? Uh, some of those are context-dependent, so you need to be trained before you go and start messing around with that stuff. But Matthew Bates here says, the adoption of allegiance language is pressing for the church for faith and belief blot out vitally important dimensions of meaning in the Pistis word family that need to be recovered. Again, guys, this is a heavyweight scholar that's saying this, and he now has other heavyweight academic scholars that are getting behind him saying yes. Yes, there's, he's on to something. Um, a better word to encapsulate the full meaning of faith in the Bible is allegiance. It, it really is. So let me show you how this plays out in Ephesians 2.8, okay? And again, guys, this, this is not me. This is, this, this is scholars that are behind this, okay? I do have some training, but I'm not one of those guys. Um, but Ephesians 2.8 in the NIV says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Try it this way. For it is by grace you've been saved through allegiance. Okay, does that give some clarity to what this maybe means? Okay, I'll try it this way now. Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Again, that's pestis. Look at it like this. Therefore, since we have been justified through allegiance, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by allegiance into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. How does that change your understanding of that? 
Last one. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Lastly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who is faithful. That's a proper rendering of that. Okay? Does that change this? Okay? Do we have John 3.16 up there? I can't remember if I put that on there or not. We don't? Okay. John 3.16 is another one. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should be allegiant to him shall not perish but have eternal life. Does that change your understanding of that? Okay, that moves it out of the realm. If I just mentally believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, I'll be saved. Well, that's part of it, right? You need to follow him as your king. And that's what the gospel is. Guys, that's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is king of the world, and he's coming back someday, and he's going to make everything right. And we don't have anything to worry about. If we're on team Jesus, like if we'll just be his people, we don't have anything to worry about. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that this world isn't going to stay the way that it is? We're not going to have to deal with wars someday. Isn't that good news? We're not going to have to deal with elections someday. Isn't that good news? Did you know you're not going to have to deal with gas prices someday? You're not going to have to deal with uh, going to a job you hate. You're not going to have to deal with that medical condition or that issue that it just bugs you every day. You're not going to have to deal with that crisis that you're in the middle of. You're not going to have to deal with any of that stuff because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right someday. And the good news is that you and I, right now, we can make a decision that we're going to live with Jesus as our king right now. And all of the benefits, man, he, he says, if you will make me your Lord, I'm going to teach you how to have the best life you can have on earth. I'm going to teach you how to deal with anything this life throws at you. And then someday I'm going to make you perfect. I'm going to make you perfect, and I'm going to put you in a world that was designed for you and everybody else that is loyal to me, and we are going to have a party that's going to be unlike anything you can imagine, and you're going to get to live a life that is so fulfilled. You just It's hard to describe, but I want you to know that that's coming for you. That's what Jesus says. I mean, that's his call to us. And so what he will do for you is he will teach you how to be the absolute best version of yourself right now. He will teach you how to have a fulfilled and purposeful life right now. And he will help you make this world a better place starting right now. But you want to know what it starts with? It starts with you putting your faith in him, you giving your allegiance to him. That's what faith is. Okay, uh, we want to invite you to respond this morning. There's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. I want to invite everybody to pull that out. Um, guys, as we talk about what faith is, I want to ask, do you have faith? Are you a person of faith? Are you a person who has given allegiance to Jesus Christ? And if you're just investigating this, uh, if you, maybe you don't really know about this Christianity thing or this Jesus thing. That's okay. All of us start somewhere, right? Uh, I want to invite you wherever you are just to start where you are, understanding God will meet you where you are. What God is calling you to do today is to get on the journey of becoming a person of faith, a person of allegiance to Jesus Christ. You're in a place with a group of people this morning who want to help you do that. Um, Part of how we will do that is we would love to, if you're interested in learning more about God, we'd love to open up the Bible with you. Uh, so if, if that's something you're interested in, if you have questions, or if you're, you want to just figure out how, to, how do I start this faith journey, indicate on your card that you'd like a personal Bible study, and we will have somebody follow up with you and 
sit down and talk with you. Now, what they do in those Bible studies, it's not like a classroom where you're sitting and it's like a class or anything. Pretty much it's a couple of friends that get together, open up the Bible, read it, and talk about how do we apply this to our lives. Uh, so it's not like a formal classroom, okay? It's like, it's like friends getting together. Um, not intimidating, okay? You just open up the Bible, read it, how do I apply this? If you'd like to, to do that, man, that's really a good place to start. If you're just looking for a place to start, that's a good place to start. Another thing you're going to need to help you is, is community. Uh, because none of us were designed to, to do this being faithful thing on our own. We need help. Uh, we need people around us. We need encouragement. We need, we need community. Uh, we want to invite you to, to plug in with a small group as well. Um, for our adults, we've got different groups that are meeting today. Uh, if you want to check one out, if you're visiting or whatever, if you want to check one out, you're welcome to come um, to one of our adult groups. Just see me or uh, one of our other members here, and we'll get you connected. Um, but those groups are there because we know that God desires us to be in community with one another because there's things that I'm going to need help with sometime, and there's things you're going to need help with sometime. And sometimes there's things that I can help you with, and there's things you can help me with, and vice versa. And it's the same for everybody. We were meant to be together and, and to be in community together. That's part of what the church is designed to be as a big family. So that's a good way to plug in here at the crossings, though, because in a living room, you get to know the people around you, you get to know what's going on. It's just a good, a good thing when you're with a group of friends that are trying to do this together. So we want to invite you to do that. Uh, we've also got a lot of other things. I won't go over every little thing we offer here, but we've got a lot of resources, guys. We've got resources for people that uh, were sexually abused as kids, like me. Um, I have a lot of issues from that. I was able to get help at the church because we took the Bible and we applied truth from God's word to my situation. If you've gone through a divorce, guys, we've got resources to help with that. We know how much that hurts and all the fallout from that. We can help. Uh, if you're struggling with finances, guys, we've got, we've got things where we take biblical truth about finances. How do you manage money? And we'll help, okay? There's all kinds of practical application of God's word that will make your life better. Did you know if you just do life the way God says to do it, it works out better? It's almost like he designed it or something. It's pretty crazy. Um, he knows what he's doing. And, and we've just learned here at the crossings that if, man, if we just take God's word and apply it, man, it really works out. Uh, so if there's anything that, uh, that we can help you with, we would love to. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song that's going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out. After the first song, we'll sing one more song after that, and we're going to pass some baskets, and you can put your card in that basket. If you're visiting here today, guys, our members give money every week, so you're going to see people like dropping money in the basket. Don't feel like you need to do that. We are not after your money. Uh, trust me. Uh, we just want to help you today. Um, and so please just put your card in that basket when it goes by if you're a guest. Uh, but let me pray for us and we'll wrap. God, thank you for bringing us together today. Um, I pray that we'll take this word about being loyal to you seriously. Um, and God, I, I pray that it will prompt us to action. I also pray uh, that we'll be graceful where we need to be graceful. And for some of us, we'll give ourselves a break where we need a break. Uh, but Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be all in, sold out for you. And if we're struggling, Lord, help us to get the help we need. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.